0: When you walk down Turner Street, um, everything looks pretty normal, but you can see some small signs that something happened there. This,
1: all this, was uh, there a fence here? Yeah. Yeah. Was it, so that
0: was gone? Yeah, that was from the, the blocks. <laughs> and the tree was there. Mm-hmm. And, uh,
1: and we the, found a piece of tree up the roof. So. Yeah, and uh, on the tree was some part of, of David,
2: no.
1: a body, too.
0: There is a so chunk of sidewalk mean, that doesn't match the rest of the, the chunks. Block. It's bright white. It's been replaced. Um, the... Buildings that, you know, at one point last year after the explosion, all the windows were boarded up. Now, um, there's only one that's still, um, that needs to be repaired. All the rest are, you see some brand new windows on these old buildings and little construction stickers here and there. You know, you could tell something happened, but it's not obvious. You you couldn't imagine how strong that blast was. This porch was lifted up. The whole thing went up and came back down again. Uh, so we had to rebuild that. In, in, the, in the library, that's where most of the body fluids were. Um, body parts hit the garage. I mean, there's, there's a spot on the garage wall about
2: like this. It's just blood. It was, it was gruesome. You know, there are body parts in the, on, the,
0: on the, in the road. There are body parts inside. There were, there, were, there were, you know, pieces of people on the front porch, on the side porch. One year ago this week, this is where Jacob Schmoyer um, detonated a powerful homemade bomb um, that killed him, his passenger, David Hallman, and Schmoyer's baby son, JJ, who was um, two years old.
3: That was a rumble that much of Center City felt that Saturday night, September 29th of last year. I was sitting where I am now, in a radio studio at the morning call office on 6th Street. And I thought it was powerful thunder at first. The 700 block of Turner Street was lit up by the car on fire, and it wasn't quite done exploding. Amid those pops, there were sirens, People craning for a better look. People running away from body parts on the ground, their phones in their hands. We knew pretty quickly, within days, that this was a solitary act of murder-suicide. We knew because Jacob Schmoyer left letters admitting his guilt. A year later, we know much more about the events leading up to his final deadly act. That's this week on the Morning Call Podcast. I'm Kayla Dwyer. Skippy noise?
1: Does Skippy go, How does Skippy go? Look There's a bus. How does Skippy go? Skippy go, ruff, ruff. Ruff, ruff. Skippy,
2: give me kisses. He's a, he's a pro. <laughs> be careful! Don't. We'll, well, what everybody, if you if you went to that street where he lives at on Hall Street, they they knew David Hallman as the man with the little small dog.
3: Manny Gamiz is a crime reporter for The Morning Call.
2: He had Skippy for 14 years, and you know it's, it's almost rare to ever see them not together. And uh, you know every Christmas he would take um skippy to one of these uh santa clauses like either at jc penny or a department store and he'd take a photo with the, with the dog and so, so that's that's one of the things that kind of uh, uh everybody remembers about him in that neighborhood besides that he was also known to be very handy and helpful and he'd help his neighbors uh that uh, his, his son told me that he would um take him up uh, he would work on the roofs of the the neighbors and you know whenever anybody needed any help you know he'd uh he'd uh be there to help him.
1: Uh, basically, he was a free-spirited person that uh, went around, um, loved enjoying his music and his dog and uh, a lot of entertainment.
3: Son, David um, E. Hallman.
1: He loved uh, the nightlife on the weekends. He was always out partying, dancing every Saturday night, as far as I can remember. And, uh, he was a machinist at started He
2: was 66, and uh, he had been recently retired. He was a machinist at uh, two different companies in Allentown. And uh, but he still was doing some handiwork and, you know, doing side jobs and you know and stuff to keep him active. But he was in the process of moving away from, from Allentown. Uh he would have been leaving a month the month after this happened. But uh,
1: that's how it was, you know,
2: he's yeah, the neighborhood's not bad. I was like that nah, he's got my camera, he's the policing, he's washing his car, you know. He <laughs> said, so I grew up here, everybody knows me, it's a great and safe neighborhood and later on then he started looking around and he was like, Oh yes getting little i can see all the cars coming in the neighborhood people getting in and out and he was like you, know, you can smell certain smells you know he, he just wanted to get back into retirement mode and i think it the, the city of allentown i guess was kind of uh, changing and you know he didn't want to be he wanted to be at a place where it'd be more of a, a se- not senior living but senior assi- assisted living i think it was gonna be, he had a already leased a place out in emmaus and i think he was going to be leaving in october a month before this happened uh david hallman was at the sands casino a, a lounge at the sands casino and where he met uh lenora martucci johnson it was a i think it was like a disco night or something like that and so they were both you know dancing and I, speaking to her she told me that it wasn't until the last song when when um david approached her to, da- to ask her for dance and then, you know, they danced that last song and she's like, I wish I would have, I would have asked you sooner. We would have been dancing all night. But um, from that day, they kind of spent the next three weeks to a month together. And she said they also went out to do karaoke and dance at other locations. I think there was a place in Copley that they would have frequent. And when they weren't dancing or singing, they would be, um, he would be at her house helping her repair stuff at her house. I think he, he just started walking around her house and noticing things that he could fix. And and then he, um, the last thing he fixed, which he was really proud of, was he, her hot tub. Um, she had a, she had wanted her uh, her niece wanted her to have the hot tub working for her for her party, and he he started working on it. She said it took him all day, um, and it was on the the day of this uh, blast that he finally got a chance to fix it. And um, he uh, that's when he got a call from Jacob Smore to come into Allentown because he has his money that he owed him.
1: First, you know, that's honestly what the thought was. You know. Accident. Accident. Everybody would have that first thought is just an accident. Nobody's gonna think that because like even if my cousins were here to talk to you, they would say the same thing. Like that nobody would have expected anything like this from him at all.
0: So Tina Schmoyer, who is Jacob's younger sister by three years. Pam Lehman and I, the other reporter who worked on this case, um, we sat down with her at a Panera in Trexler Town a couple weeks ago. Lori Mason-Schrader covers Lehigh County courts for the morning call. A year has gone by, but you could still see the pain it was really just so fresh on her face when she talked about her brother. Um, they were really close.
1: All well, I can definitely say was everything that happened, that's not him, because that's not how he was even when we were younger. We were more of climbing trees going bike riding swimming in the lakes going he taught me how to fish with taking a stick with a little fake fishing line and throwing it out like that
0: like we were literally inseparable and you know it's Tina's belief that Jacobs suffered from mental illness Um, she said that he had been suffering from it for quite some time from at least 2010 Um, and that uh, he had gone off his medication um, as you often hear with cases like this, you know, people stop taking their medication and, and have a downward spiral. And she believes that is what led to this atrocity. I mean, she doesn't think that it was, you know, mean-spirited or it was just his his mental illness taking over. So in 2010, Tina Schmoyer tells us that um, her brother had some legal trouble Pam and I were able to find some old court records that um, showed that he uh, was wanted for credit card theft. So uh, when police contacted him, Tina said uh, her brother fled to Virginia and threatened to take his life. He um, wrote a suicide note, which you know would later it was similar to what he did um, last year. Um, and she said he included his fingerprints with that suicide note, which is also something he did in um twenty eighteen. So, um, you know, she said that he was intent on taking his life and she spent more than two hours on the phone with him talking him out of it. Um and after that the family paid attention to his medication and his mental health and, and he was okay for some years. Well I can definitely
1: tell you, in all honesty, he even admitted he wasn't ready to be a father. But once, you know, once my nephew was born, I could see it in his face. He was happy. He was proud to be a father at that point, and he loved him.
0: Jacob's uh, family is a little complicated, and um, also um, Jasmine, who is um, Jacob's girlfriend, who um, declined to be interviewed for this story, but I have spoken to her in the past. Um, There's some different versions of how J.J. figures into what his dad did. Tina Schmoyer believes that um, Jacob was very concerned that J.J. had autism and was going to have a difficult life. And um, that is why she believes that he took J.J.'s life as well. Jasmine, the girlfriend, does not believe um, that was a factor. And she says that everything was fine. Um, She even shared videos of... J.J. and his dad playing patty cake, and and she said, you know, while there is some, um, there might have been some concern, it wasn't something that was weighing heavily on Jacob. Um, And Jacob's step-grandmother, who received one of the letters, um, she does not believe that um, Jacob was mentally ill. Um, At worst, he had ADHD, she said, and he was just very concerned that his son Um, how his son would be without him all of a sudden you know
1: then I get this call saying you know there's letters on Tuesday I was like well there you go you know that answered that one and when we got approval to actually go into the house the fedora that my brother always wore he had it hung up on the coat hanger now my brother that was like his wallet he would never go anywhere without that fedora nowhere so seeing it hung up was just immediate I was like he's hanging his hat he's done
3: A quick note here that you can find the Morning Call podcast in all our archives on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen. If you like what you hear, subscribe, and you'll get updates when we produce new episodes. Now back to the show.
0: So shortly after the explosion, when we were reporting last year, um, some of the reporters here at the morning call had a chance to view a video that was taken by a nearby business um, on Turner Street that captured the moments leading up to the blast. And what we can tell from watching that is that Schmoyer pulls up close to um, Hallman's home. Hallman comes out. He stops briefly at the driver's side window and chats with Jacob for a minute, and then he starts walking into the street um, towards the passenger side. He has to stop for a minivan to go by. After the minivan goes by, Hallman walks to the passenger side, opens the door, and gets inside. And within two seconds, the car just explodes. Get out of
2: it's What happened with Jacob Schmoyer, I mean, we don't know what he was doing that day. I mean, that's, that's never really been answered. But as far as David Holman that day, he was, he was working with somebody on Airport Road. I guess he had done a job in Airport Road. Um, and then he went to, uh, I guess, his female friend um, to her house to help f- finish up that hot tub. At some point during the day, um, he got a call. When he got off the phone, he says, boy, I never expected to get that $150 back. And then he went on and explained to her that he got a call from a, a, a kid in the neighborhood named Jacob Schmoyer, and he had loaned him $150 back in the uh, some time previously, and he, he was telling me he was going to pay him back. So about 6.30 p.m., he left her house, and at some point, he ended up um, right uh, on the 700 block of, of Turner Street, where um, the explosion happened, I think, around 9.30 that night. He was. He received some text messages from Jacob Schmoyer, and uh, there was some kind of back and forth between them. Um, this was before he went into the car. But the only the only clue that we have that what lured him back was that this promise of his money that he had lent him from a few weeks before. Well, well, when we first spoke to the Hallman family, I mean this was last year when we first spoke to him last year they no one in his family had even heard of jacob smoyer like they they said they didn't they never um even knew he existed and when we reached back to them this year um david Holman, uh, the, the son he he told us that uh he was told by um uh, a property is that one of his dad's friends who owns several properties in allentown he hired both jacob smoyer and his dad to work so they both kind of worked together for the same man you know doing handiwork around different locations in Allentown and but, but while this property owner was friends with David Hallman, he just he treated uh, Schmoyer Jacob Schmoyer as an employee and uh, so, so the son was told by authorities that there was some kind of uh, jealousy that was brewing because of this as far as uh, David Hallman what he knows about Schmoyer is that his dad would help him. He would lend him money. He would lend him tools because uh, Jacob Schmoyer, you know, his dad was kind of getting rid of some of his tools because he was planning on moving away. And he was giving some of the older tools to, to Jacob Schmoyer from what he's what he told. But other than that, that's the only connection. They never hung out, they never talked. I mean, there's a, there's a I mean, he's twice his age. And uh, he knew, he, to, he just knew that Jacob Schmoyer had a, a little boy. Uh, he had a son and uh, he had a, a girlfriend and they lived in the city.
0: That's one of the most inexplicable. Things about this case still a year later. When we talked to the ATF, they've been examining, you know, text messages, things on computers, whatever they can find, any kind of communication between these two men. Um, At the most, there was a quote from Jacob in one of the letters saying that he believed that David Hallman was sour, had a sour personality. But there was no mention of, you know, an ongoing feud or hatred or anything, the kind of thing you would think that would precipitate something. As catastrophic as this, so it's it's a mystery. For whatever reason, I mean, he recognized
1: his life was going in the wrong direction, um, and uh, and uh, you know was not uh, didn't portray himself in any positive light. Just but you know then he made the
3: decision to do what he did. Don Robinson, an agent from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, speaking with us by phone.
1: Uh, Mr. Holman in some kind of a negative light and didn't want to wind up like that, um, and that's the reason he targeted him, which is you know, horrible. But this, you know, Schmor's family, its this is something he did, he decided to do, and it's not any of their faults,
0: that is for sure. We we don't know what the letters say exactly. We've been able to, to glean bits and pieces, you know. Each person that got a letter that would talk to us, or read, at least read one, um, told us a little bit but would never show us the exact wording so um you know while uh, tina his sister says that you know he explained himself um i i get a sense that even she doesn't fully understand even after reading his words they they don't make sense to her and i think that's why she's um sure that it was mental illness that caused this this was um, a horrific murder-suicide and, and three people were killed, but authorities have made it clear since the beginning that this could have been so much worse. Um, the, the force of that blast, if there had been anyone walking on the street or even standing next to one of those windows that blew in, or if the Phantoms game at the PPL Center had not gone into overtime, I mean, it's possible that people could have been walking to their cars. So, you know, I don't think the word fortunate can be used here, but, um, you know, it, it just could have been worse. The
2: son's only gotten snippets of what uh, was written in these letters. Um, and one of the things that he uh, ended in one of the letters that this, from what the son was told was that he, Jacob Smoyer wrote, sorry if I hurt anybody else. Like he intended to, to commit this crime against these, uh, his son and, and David Hallman and himself, but he wasn't. He he knew there was a danger that this could have gone so gotten so much worse. I mean, if it would have, people more people would have been out in that area. Horrific as it was for this neighborhood and these families, I mean, this could have really been very very devastating for the city.
3: One day this February. The Holman family took Skippy to her former home off Turner Street. Skippy sprang to life and ran around the house searching for her former owner. She died the next day. Read the reporting on the anniversary of the car explosion in stunning detail by my colleagues Laurie Mason-Schrader, Manny Gamiz, and Pam Lehman at themorningcall.com. This is The Morning Call Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Dwyer, and we'll see you next time.